you got to understand, like, high school is all about, like, where do I fit in in the rank, and how do I stand out amongst, like, all my fellow peers and stuff like that. And I don't really have all that much that distinguishes me. You know, I'm, I'm not all that good-looking. I'm average. I'm not really that smart. I'm average. You know, I'm not that great of an athlete. I'm average. I'm not really funny. I'm average, you know? There's nothing that, like, kind of you know, stuck me out between someone else. You know, some of the guys who are kind of, you know, the early bloomers, they got facial hair and stuff like that. I was a late bloomer, and so I was totally forgettable. But I got a 1997 Ford Ranger Forest Green. And at the point in time, I was only two years old. So I had like one of the newest, coolest cars. And all the guys, all the guys in my class, like envied my car. They wanted to ride in it, they wanted to drive it, all that kind of stuff. So I finally felt like I finally had something that made me stand out. I felt so good about myself. Well, that summer, I worked at a summer camp, a YMCA summer camp, and I was uh, on the high ropes course. So putting people up the rock climbing wall, like down the zip line, like that was my job for the summer. It was awesome. It was awesome. And every morning, uh, here's how uh, our summers would go. Um, We were uh, at the camp, all the lodging was at the top of a hill. And so we'd eat our breakfast at the top of the hill, and then me and all my coworkers, my friends, we would pile into my ranger, and then we would drive down the path to the, into the woods to where the high ropes course was. And this is back when, like, it was not illegal to, like, have people in the back of your, uh, the bed of your truck, which is a good law. Um, but, you know, they would all pile, not in, in the car, but into the bed of my truck, and we'd, like, drive down, you know. And at the end of the day, hard day working on the ropes course, we would pile into my truck, you know, roll the windows down, blare the music, and like drive all the way back up. And I was just at the height of my life. I felt so good about myself, so good about life. I was happy. Well, this particular day, one of the days, this particular day, as we were driving back um, up to uh, where we ate, I decided to make the ride a little bit more fun, a joy ride, okay? And so we're on the path. I decided to then veer off of the path into the grass. We're driving through the grass, a little off-roading. My friends in the back, woo, you know, this is awesome, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then as I come back onto the paved road, we sort of careened in the air a little bit as we hit the bump, okay? And so, you know, they're all hollering. And as I look in the back of my rearview mirror, my friend Ashton actually lifts up out of the back of the pickup truck about two feet in the air. And all I could think is, dear God, please would Ashton land back into the bed of my pickup truck and not fall out the side. I mean, he was high enough to clearly go out the side of the truck. Well, I'm so thankful because he did land back into the bed of the truck. And it was as a 16-year-old, I just had this moment where I realized that fun, the time of your life can so quickly turn to something very terrible. All right? Very terrible. And let's just say my decisions with my truck didn't get better necessarily, but that's another story for another time. You know, as human beings, like, we have this interesting relationship with fun, right? I mean, consider one thing. Like, you know, we all think different things are fun. I mean, what one person thinks is fun, another person thinks is misery. Like, my wife's perfect day is probably going out shopping with, like, you know, her mother, Uh, my mother-in-law. That's probably a perfect day for her. To me, I would literally rather dig a hole in my backyard than go shopping. Would rather dig a hole than go shopping. Except when I'm with you, babe, then shopping's fine. But, you know, but one thing that's funny for one of us and one thing that's funny for another, uh, fun for another, uh, it is vastly different. But then also, like, how we get caught up in the moment, we can also make very bad decisions. Probably some of the worst decisions I've ever made in my life is probably in the midst of having fun in the midst of, of uh, having a good time. 
you know, my form of humor is cutting sarcasm, which hurts people's feelings. And so as I feel like I'm getting laughs, I'm actually making someone else feel a matter of pain, right? And so with fun, with enjoyment, enjoyment of life and pleasure, all these sort of things, I mean, that's what kind of life is about. We want to have a good life. We want to have a happy life. And yet, oftentimes the way we live it out, fun can become not extraordinary and maybe even less than ordinary, can be disappointing, dissatisfying. It can bring out the worst in us. The author of Ecclesiastes kind of articulates this in his book. It's uh, the book Ecclesiastes is a piece of wisdom literature, how to live life well. And he speaks of both sides of the coin of, of how we can have this tenuous relationship with enjoyment and pleasure. He says this in Ecclesiastes 9, 7. He says, go, like commissions, go. Go, eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. So on one hand, God says, I made bread, you know, to be enjoyable. Go and eat it. Have a good time. I made wine to make you feel good. Go and drink it. Like, that's a good thing that the author is saying, like, go and enjoy the things that are in creation. God made them to be enjoyed, so go and do it. God approves of what you do, like thumbs up. But previous to this, a couple chapters earlier, he had this to say about pleasure. He said, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. That the author says, like, I pursued this pathway of ultimate pleasure. I saturated my life with the good things of this earth and of this world. And what did it lead me me to? Vanity. This word vanity means meaningless Futility, worthlessness is what it means. So how is it that pleasure can both be the slice of life and yet at the same time can feel like it amounts to nothing? Well, that's what we're going to get into. How is it that we live and experience this extraordinary fun that God intends for us to have? And something has to do with the way that we relate to him and the way we relate to the pleasures of this world. And to look further into this, we're going to take a look. Well, actually, I'm going to kind of retell the story of uh, the creation. Because the first two chapters of Genesis has a lot of insight into how we can have this imbalance with fun and enjoyment and pleasure. All right, so the first two chapters of Genesis are a standalone unit, all right? Uh, It's a very poetic Hebrew uh, literature. And over those first two chapters, the author Moses is trying to paint a picture for us. He's painting a picture of a powerful God who is creating this earth and this world with teeming with life. And so he says, day one, day two, God said, and then it was made. God said it was made. And then over and over and over again, six, seven times, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, that what God makes is good. And he gets to the end, day six of his creation, the last thing, the crown of his creation, what does he make? He makes us, people, in his image, Not that we are many gods, but we are like God. You know, God is relational, we're relational beings. God enjoys pleasure, he's a pleasure-filled God. We enjoy pleasure, and he built these things in us. And then what does he do? The very next day is the Sabbath day. That the man's very first day with God is a day of rest and enjoyment. It's curious. God did all the work. God made all of creation. And on the very next day, He is in right relationship with Adam and Eve. He now makes a day of rest for Adam and Eve to be able to enjoy God's creation with God the Father. Well, as the narrative goes, he continues going in chapter uh, two that God took Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden. And he commissions them. 
He says, do you guys see the garden? Do you see all the good trees and fruit and the things that are here and the animals? Like, go and like, fill your life with purpose and be pleased. Go eat of the trees. Go enjoy them. You know, sleep underneath the shade. Climb in the, you know, climb in the trees. Kind of like that Shel Silver scene, like the giving tree. You know, kind of like that, you know. Go and enjoy. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, do not eat. There was one tree where God said, no. Not this tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Or else, here's the consequences, you will surely die. You will certainly die if you eat of this tree. Now theologians have sort of debated, speculated, why did God put this tree in the garden? And one of the things that we can arrive at is that God was testing Adam and Eve. Not tempting them, but testing them. What would they choose? Would they decide to listen to and enjoy their creator God and his creation where he said yes in all the places he said yes? Or were they going to go about experiencing pleasure in this world on their own? The fruit of that tree was an opportunity for self-indulgence, for pride, and for entitlement. And if you know the story, Adam and Eve ate of that tree. It seems like probably not too much longer after God said no. And so within this apple, Adam and Eve said, this is an opportunity for us to indulge ourselves. We get as much pleasure as we want out of this world. We get what we want when we want it. It was an opportunity for their pride. God doesn't know best. I know best for me. I know how to live life, uh, I know how to live life the right way for myself. It was an opportunity for entitlement. I have a right to every tree. I have a right to every fruit. Yes, there's 99 other trees, but I have a right to every single one. No one can tell me no. And so Adam and Eve take and eat of the tree, and they do certainly die. They are severed from God, their creator. That what happened, fundamentally what happened with experiencing the pleasures of this earth is that they removed what made that pleasure so, oh, so enjoyable, and they replaced it with something else. They replaced it with themselves that they were the ones that were at the center of creation. That fun cannot be the life-giving, purpose-filled enjoyment God intended when you're at the center. That fun cannot be the life-giving and purpose-filled enjoyment God intended for you if you are at the center of your life. If I were to take an honest look at myself, who's who's the thief of my joy? It's usually me. Nick is usually the problem with his joy, Nick is usually the one that kind of makes a mess of things, can't live in balance, is the one who has allowed pleasures to turn to addictions, has allowed pleasures to make him lose his mind that he doesn't love or care for other people, who has sought after pleasure and arrived at experiencing the nothingness of those things because I've put myself at the center. So Allie and I have this perception of ourselves. We think that we're good parents. Sometimes our kids don't think that we're good parents. Like when we give them chores, they say that we're making them slaves. I don't know. I think that's debatable. So, but one thing that Alan and I like to do, you know, as parents, like we want to give our kids good lives. Like if you're a parent, like you know how much your own personal happiness is attached to your child. If they're happy, your life is so much happier, right? And so what, what do Alan and I do? We like to give our good ki- uh, kids like good gifts and all that kind of stuff. And we'll do these things called Gillespie Family Fun Nights, where... I mean, every day is a fun day in the Gillespie household. But on this particular day, like, we'll save a little bit of extra money, do a little bit of extra planning, and it'll be this Friday or Saturday night where Allie and I are just going to, like, kind of spoil the kids, right? We're just going to have, like, a good time, like, as the Gillespies. 
And we'll do something like we'll exchange like McDonald's for like Nagoya, right? And then after Nagoya, we'll then like go to the movies. And so, you know, we take the kids into Nagoya and it's great because they both entertain you and feed you like really great food. And we're enjoying it. We're enjoying each other's company and it's so fun. And then the evil waiter or waitress comes up and uh, suggests their evil suggestion. Hey, how about dessert? And they don't speak to you as the parents. They speak to your kids. Hey, we've got a great homemade chocolate cake. You're going to want this cake. And then it incepts their mind, you know, and infects it. And all of a sudden, the kids, like, want the chocolate cake. And they're like, hey, mom and dad, can we have some chocolate cake? Come on, it's Gillespie family fun night. We need the chocolate cake. And then Allie and I know that the night is young. We've got more good stuff coming, all right? So next is movies. And at the movies, we'll get the popcorn and we'll get all the candy and all that kind of stuff, right? And so we just say, no, not right now. Right? Not necessarily a hard no, but yeah, no. Like, no, not right now. And in that moment, they have this feeling of like, you're stealing the joy of Gillespie Family Fun Night. And they throw their fit and their tantrum and all that kind of stuff. And all four of them are kind of getting into and all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, the night has gone from really great to not so great. And then on the ride home after the evening, someone has the audacity to say, and I quote, why was tonight so hard for me? It's at that point that you want to, like, strangle them, but you have to still be a safe driver. (laughs) I learned this back when I was 16. Um, (laughs) So what was the problem? That Gillespie family fun night wasn't about the Gillespies. It wasn't about receiving a gift from mom and dad. It was about them, right? It It became about them. It became about their pleasure, that they want what they want. And to be honest, while I can poke fun at my kids, I'm like this too, even at 37. That it's so easy for me in the midst of seeking pleasure to make me the chief and the uh, center of that pleasure. Psalm 144, 15 says this, Happy are the people to whom such blessings fall. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. That happy people, it's not happy people are those who are receiving blessings. Everybody, every single person around the world is receiving blessings from God. Every person. The happy person is the person whose God is the Lord. Adam and Eve lost perspective. That in the garden, what was fun and enjoyable and pleasurable about the garden was not God the Father, but the fruit. That they put their eyes on the fruit and said, the fruit is a thing that will make me happy, that will bring life to me, and not the one who made it. Not the one who gave it. Not the one who made them and designed them to be ones who enjoy. That extraordinary fun is when your greatest happiness is in God. You want to have an extraordinarily fun life? Well, then begin to make your greatest happiness in life God, your creator, your father, who designed you for pleasure, and he himself beholds the most glorious pleasures, and he is the one whom all other pleasures come from. Begin to make him your happy center. There can be a fundamental difference between, you know, enjoying a soccer game, enjoying a football game, uh, enjoying a meal with friends, with God at the center of your life, and when God's not in the picture. That two people can be doing the very same things, and yet the Bible would say that two people are having fundamentally different experiences when God is the one whom they are being happy in as they're delighting in the pleasures of this earth. 
So how do we begin to live this out? It's a perspective change. This isn't just sort of a, you know, you flip the switch and just behave differently. It's the way you see life, the way you see yourself, the way you see God, that you begin to put these lenses on the way you live moment by moment every day as you go to work, as you wake up, as you put your head to bed, as you pursue and go after that vacation and, you know, all those sort of things. How do we live these, uh, the, with this lens? Well, first, extraordinary fun has to be within God's order. Extraordinary fun has to happen within God's order. Uh, the Hillsborough disaster uh, occurred in 1989. It was at a, a soccer game, a football game, because it was in England, football. Uh, so, but it was soccer, right? Uh, and so it was at the soccer game where uh, roughly 30,000 people were ascending on the stadium at the same time to watch the semifinal match against Liverpool and Nottingham Forest, you know, and a bunch, like a bunch of Brits, they were really excited revved up to see their soccer team win and carry on the festivities into the evening, right? And so they were super, super excited, right? And so the way the public transit system happened, there was just thousands upon thousands of people were being released at the same time onto this stadium, all right? And so the game started at 3 o'clock. And by 3.05 and 30 seconds, a police officer runs out into the field, halts the game, and there's this frenzied commotion up around the gate that surrounded the pitch, People were being crushed and trampled on uh, around the fence and underneath people's feet. 96 people died. Two, 766 people were injured in this disaster. What happened? Well, it wasn't that people drank too much. And it wasn't that, you know, Liverpool fans and Nottingham Forest fans began to get in a fight. It was order. That the way that the stadium was designed... As thousands of people were trying to get into this stadium, it didn't have a release of people on the backside of the stadium. So as people began to push, and the people behind them pushed, and the people behind them pushed, it shoved everyone to the front and began to crush people, and there's no outlet. It was order. God has made this world with order. God is an orderly God. Not because he's a taskmaster, but because he cares for you. He has your best interests in mind. He wants the best for you. And so we cannot experience, experience the extraordinary fun life that he has for us, the pleasures of this life, if we ignore his commandments. If we do not keep his commandments, we are not going to experience the life that he wants to have us for. The keeping of the commandments is for our best because he cares about us. We must live in light of that order that we really, if we were to say, we have to obey the no. Because the no is the thief of our joy. On the other side... We have to receive the pleasures of this earth as a gift. That I have no right to the things that I enjoy in this earth. I don't deserve it just because I exist. I don't deserve it because I'm an American white male. I don't deserve any of it. I don't deserve anything. In fact, the consequence of the tree was death. That's what I deserve. But every blessing God gives to me is a gift. And so I must learn to be happy to receive the yeses. That sometimes even those of us who follow Christ we don't even give ourselves a freedom within our own heart to say yeses to the places where God said yes. That the problem wasn't that Adam and Eve overly fixated on the one no, it's that they didn't fixate enough on the places where God said yes. Had their eyes been on the places where God said yes, they would have enjoyed God and all of his creation and been satisfied. And so for us, let's receive the pleasures that we have in this earth as a gift from the hand of our Heavenly Father. So how do we begin to live this out? Like I said, it's a perspective change. It's a moment-by-moment lifestyle. Well, we learn to delight in God. We learn to find him enjoyable. You know, I take my wife out on a date, 
It's not the food that we eat or the places that we go. It's her company that I'm enjoying. What would it look like for you to remember or begin to press into enjoying God's company? Because he's with you always, every moment of every day. That really, what if you asked yourself in the morning, this week, every morning, instead of as your feet hit the ground, instead of thinking about what's your to-do list and what are all the things you have to get done and the places you've got to be and all those deadlines, what if the first thought in your mind was, how can I be happy in God today? He's given you today. Be happy in him. What would that look like to go to work? happy in God? What would it look like to greet your kids, happy in God? What would it look like to put your head to bed, happy in God? What would it look like to eat that meal, happy in God? It shifts your experience of your whole life. Learn to delight in God. And then secondly from that, delight in the moment. That God gives us this moment. He gives us today to live that he's made you to enjoy the things that you enjoy, and there's no shame in that. If you enjoy music, go and enjoy music, and go and enjoy the food that you like, and the sports that you like, and the activities that you like, you know, delighting in him. Martin Luther, the great theologian, church reformer, said this. He said, when you're given a good day, here's what you should do. This is the best advice ever from a theologian. When you are given a good day, here's what you should do. Be happy. And that God is happy when you're happy. And that's what he wants. So be happy. So delight in God, delight in the moment, and thirdly, lastly, delight in the cross of Christ. Delight in the cross. Now this is a tension point, I think, for uh, Christianity, that it seems weird that we would delight in something that is actually so horrendous. But in Hebrews 12, 2, the author said this, for the joy set before him, For the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. That Jesus himself says, what is his joy? What is his delight? It was the cross. And so there must be something to that. That the cross, if Christ delighted in it, then we too are to delight in the cross. When Jesus was sharing, uh, instituting the very first kind of communion Lord's Supper meal, as he was breaking the bread and distributing the wine and the elements to his followers, he had this to say in Luke twenty two fifteen to 16. He said, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Jesus said he was eager to share this meal that represented the suffering that he would incur the very next day. Why? This word eager is his passion. What he was saying is that I am passionate for you. I am passionate for you. Your freedom, the forgiveness of your sins, oh, it's oh so worth it for me to suffer for you because I love you that much. That the whore of the cross is the delight of Jesus Christ. And so let us this morning, as we partake of communion, of the elements and ending our time here in worship, let us do it with joy in our heart. Because Christ has set you free in himself to find joy in God and then enjoy in the gifts that he's given you. Let me pray. Jesus, I must confess that I, uh, I so make my life in this world about the pleasures. Trying to seek a happy life on my own in my own way, God. And there can be so little trust in my heart for you. But Lord, would you teach us to trust you? Would you teach us 
that you are a good heavenly father. Will you rest in that? And Father, as we come before you this morning, as we take communion, would we remember that you love us so much that you gave your life for us and that this is your joy, your happiness to rescue us, not just only from our sins, but to reclaim us as your own, that we can be happy in you again. Amen.